It is the 200 level episode 202 Spring Game Musings on a Wednesday around lunchtime recording this. So about 36 hours after we saw the orange team smoke the blue team. What was it? 65 to 13, something like that. Uh, in a game that, you know, what, what do we learn? Well, that's the tricky thing about scrimmages. If one guy looks good, you're afraid that it's because the other guys on the other side aren't good. And it's been a while, to be quite honest, that I've actually paid attention to a scrimmage like I did on Monday night. But I think that speaks a little bit to, one, new coaching staff and the excitement that goes along with that. And also the novelty, almost, of watching a game that had people in the stands and that gradual return to normalcy, right? So that was the cool thing about Monday night. And a game that I watched basically the first half. Didn't really watch the second half. And I think there's a few takeaways that we can get from it. There's a few other storylines surrounding that evening as well, including with the basketball team getting rewarded and getting recognized for the season that they had with a couple notable exceptions, a couple notable absences that were not there in person. So we got a lot to get to tonight and, or today, I say tonight, as I record this on a Wednesday uh, during my lunch hour. Uh, but overall, it was nice to settle in on a Monday night and watch, you know, competitive football, if we want to call it that. I thought that the best news of all was that the first stringers looked a lot better than the second stringers, which seems kind of obvious, right? But I can remember in years past, let's say Ron Turner era, where I kind of paid attention to scrimmages after the Sugar Bowl year, and then the Ron Zook era, 08 and 09. I remember going to both of those scrimmages. And you see guys that you hope look good, not look good against the second team. And you think, well, okay, does this not bode well? Is John Butcher going to be that good of a quarterback? Or is Dustin Ward going to get the starting spot? You may recall that quarterback controversy in 2002. Um, but overall, though, I think that you saw the first stringers do what they should have done against the second stringers. They dominated. And this was without a lot of key guys. Jake Hansen on the sideline, but has not practiced this spring. Roderick Perry, defensive lineman. Jamal Woods, I think, uh, was out as well. And a few guys on offense as well, just to name a few. I think they showed about nine or ten different guys in the two deep that were not available on Monday night. So even with the absence of them, enough guys that you saw on the field making an impact, some of them the guys that you need to make an impact this year if you're going to have a surprise successful season. Whatever that would look like, five and seven, six and six, or even better than that. Later on, just for fun, we're going to look at the schedule, and I know it's a futile exercise, especially as we sit here five months, or I guess, well, got four and a half months away from the first game, uh, but it's fun, and I think when you look at the schedule, you'll find that there is an opportunity here. We've spoken about how Brett Bielema's first year probably should not look like Ron Turner's or Ron Zook's or Levy Smith's. And those three coaches, their first years, they combined for, let's see, zero two, and three. So five wins combined in the first seasons for those three guys. And sorry, Rosie may make an appearance or two on today's podcast. We got some stuff going on in the house. Uh, but yeah, we'll take a look at that schedule. We'll also talk about some basketball stuff, as I mentioned, with the absences, guys that were not there, along with some scheduling news that we got for this upcoming basketball season. And it's weird to sit here in April and already talk about games in November and December, but we have that fodder to talk about. So yeah, that's taking shape along with the roster. Oh, and also Jermaine Hamlin. He's transferring out. I, I took all these notes, right? And I got them ready to go for the show, but I forgot to mark down Jermaine Hamlin. That is big 
in terms of the flexibility that you now have in the transfer market. And it remains to be seen who they might go out and get. I know they're looking for a stretch four. I forgot to mention Coleman Hawkins in the last episode, and he is your prototypical stretch four. If he can improve this year, that would be a major boon for this team. But I still think they're probably going to try to get a proven commodity at that position, at least for the depth. And then that would still leave one spot potentially for Kofi. So Jermaine Hamlin gives you a lot of flexibility. That was some news yesterday that I forgot to mark down in my notes. But I got plenty of them. So let's get to them. Before we get too far into this, the 200 level is brought to you by DPDO. Online at dpdo.com for all the best deals and prices, dpdo.com. You can get a custom zone with any toppings you want or one of their favorites like the Maui Wowie or the Buffer Zone. Use coupon code MIKE for $5 Cal Zones and $6 premium and construction zones at dpdo.com. And best of all, they deliver <clears throat> anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. So you can stay home, order online, let them bring a piping hot Cal Zone to your doorstep. That is dpdo.com. Fourth and Kirby, online at fourthandkirby.com as we warm up after a little bit of snow. Wasn't that fun? Bunch of t-shirts to be worn this summer. I got about five or six from Fourth and Kirby. You can get yours today using coupon code 200 level for 10% off your order at fourthandkirby.com, including a restock of the Corey Bradford t-shirt, one of their best. And they got a lot of good ones. So fourthandkirby.com, coupon code 200 level for 10% off your order at fourthandkirby.com. State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it, Brian and his staff will take care of you. Great State Farm prices and personalized service that makes the process so easy. It did for me and Kara when we got homeowners in auto. Super easy, great prices as expected. Brian is our guy. Make Brian Hansen your State Farm guy at brianismyguy.com. Finally, Rector Construction online at rectorconstruction.com. Everything from a new roof to a call space inspection and everything in between, rectorconstruction.com. These guys are great at what they do, of course, but they're also great citizens of Champaign-Urbana. They've been giving back to the community since they got started. You can trust their work and you can trust them as people. That's key when you're going to invest in a home project. So go to rectorconstruction.com. Also, Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network partners with the 200 level. Thank you for the ratings and reviews. You've gotten a few in the last few weeks. Um, you know, we got a, a ton in February and the first few weeks of March up through the end of basketball season. And I know that the second half podcasts were a big part of that. So it's been a month now that we've been back to the solo thing and just doing a couple per week. So we appreciate the fact that even in the off season, we're getting some feedback from you guys. And if you drop a line on Apple Podcasts and drop a rating, that is really big for us. It helps us find a new audience, the more ratings and reviews we get. So thank you for that. Okay, spring game, Monday night, settle in, watching it. Kara was doing some other stuff around the house, so I had about the first half before we resumed our Mad Men binge, which, by the way, just an incredible show, Mad Men. Cannot recommend it enough. But yeah, it was nice to settle in, watch some football, and the things that we keyed in on, of course, were the quarterback competition, for one, the stable of running backs, and then how bad might the defense be? Now, you saw the orange team offense, I should say, go against the second team defense. And you saw the second team blue offense go against the first team orange defense. And the good news is the first teams, the orange team, I should say, look good across the board. And that includes a defense that was missing a lot of key guys, including at the linebacking position, Jake Hansen, Shimon Cooper, and Tariq Barnes, who are all going to be in that, well, if not too deep, I mean, those at some point in the season could be your three starters of the linebacking spot. 
So overall, that was a bit of a sense of relief. Uh, you know, you could say that that says something about the second team offense. It might say a little bit about that. But overall, the defense looks serviceable, and I'll take that for a spring game. Quarterback position, though. Brandon Peters is dropping some dimes. Now, it is a scrimmage, and this is why Brandon Peters can be enticing but also infuriating. You know he can do it. It's just a question of will he. You know, there's no question about his skill set, his size, his athleticism. He is the kind of guy that if you went into a laboratory and you punched up these certain numbers and attributes for a college quarterback, especially a pocket passer, you would dial up someone similar to him. But unfortunately, in game situations, the consistency just hasn't been there. Look good on Monday night for what little that may be worth. He looked good. He was making some good passes. The receiving core, which might be a concern this year, made a few good plays. Uh, Navarro especially, I think. That is the encouraging thing to see Donnie Navarro as probably your slot starter and someone that has sure hands and some evasive ability to in the open field. But Brandon Peters looked good. And I think if we were to sit here and try to guess who the opening day, opening day or week one starter would be, I think that's the safe bet. When you look at what Brett Bielema would want to do here, an offense that is predicated on running the ball and a good offensive line, you would think, well, maybe he wants the running quarterback. But I actually get the other perspective here. I think that when you look at Brandon Peters, he can run the ball if you need it to. And he is probably more likely to make the throws on, let's say, a third and sixth than an Isaiah Williams. And you know, as I've said on the show before, I love Isaiah Williams. And if it were up to me, I would like to see him as the starter. But I get the argument as to why the safer pick and for the kind of offense and identity that you want to have, Brandon Peters would be the guy. Part of the reason why I think it might be him is because you have running backs that can take care of the running part of it. You got the line and you got the running backs where you can run the ball without a running quarterback. And part of running the ball successfully is keeping the defense honest. If Isaiah Williams is still that inconsistent throwing the ball, or I should say more inconsistent than Brandon Peters, then defenses are just going to put eight in the box and force him to throw. And there may be some success. We saw a few good throws from Isaiah Williams on Monday night, uh, but that is a risk. That is a risk when you put Williams out there. Now, I don't know how you could successfully platoon these guys and do a little mix and match. I don't like that idea so much. I wish that you could say, well, let's just put Isaiah Williams at the wide receiving spot, but I don't know how viable that is. You have to go with one of them. You can't go with both, I think, if you're going to be successful. And the easiest solution to all this would be if Brandon Peters just develops some consistency. I think you'll be asking him to do less this year than he's been asked to do before. I think that you can run a somewhat vanilla offense in terms of the passing game and then really have everything predicated on how well you can run it. If you run the ball successfully, I think Brandon Peters can be a serviceable Big Ten quarterback. And that may be enough this year with the talent that you have in the running game. I think it might be. Um, he does have some safety valves. As we saw, Luke Ford, great game on Monday night. They actually used Luke Ford, something we were pining for last year. We see it Monday night. You got Barker as another tight end. You got some sure hands that on a third and five, third and six, tight end runs a little crossing pattern. It seems like there would be some easy first downs to be had. I think Brandon Peters, I hope, can make those throws consistently this year. Wide receiver, I mentioned Navarro. That looks good. You feel pretty good about Hightower as well. The depth of that position is maybe a concern. 
Maybe there's a wild card there like Carlos Sandy, who you saw used a little bit on Monday night. Uh, but that seems to be on offense, the position of concern line. You feel good about running back. You feel good about quarterback. You got two options, very different, serviceable, right? You can go with that, but it really is the receiving core. So maybe that's the thing that makes it difficult for Brandon Peters to really come into his own this year. But it does seem that if they can start Brandon Peters, they will. And I don't even mean that in so much a cynical way like a Lovey Smith. It felt like last year, Lovey started Brandon Peters because he felt like his job is on the line and I kind of have to, right? And even as the season went on and Brandon Peters was pretty ineffective, they continued to trot him out there. So this seems a little bit more in line with the kind of offense that Peterson would run a run that, that Bielema would like to have as well. Defensively, that is the other side of the ball where you're thinking, okay, if there's a concern for this team this year, it's the fact that defensively they were awful under Lovey Smith. But I think what we'll find out, and we'll find out rather early next year, is how much of that had to do with the system and how much of that had to do with the players themselves. Now, you feel decent about the pass rush, and I think that you feel decent about the linebacking core when they're healthy. Questions in the secondary. But the hope is that with a system that is better suited for college football, that you can somehow put a serviceable defense out there. I use that word a lot, right? I just need Brandon Peters to be serviceable. I just need the defense to be serviceable. I think if you do that and you can run the ball in this Big Ten and in this division of the Big Ten and with the schedule that you have, you can actually win some games this year. So let's get to that. Let's have some fun. We watched the game Monday night, and to do these sort of prognostications, it might be a bit silly. I recognize that. But let's do it anyway. August 28th, and I said four and a half months, but really it's more like four months away from opening night at Memorial Stadium. Presumably, nationally televised, perhaps you get game day in here because you'd be the only Power 5 game that week, I think. Nebraska on August 28th. Now, I'm very happy this is not in Dublin. And I think you would still have a chance to win that game even if it were in Dublin. If we are going with a very simple analysis of this game, look at what you did against Nebraska last year. And look at what you did offensively against them the year before that, even though you gave up something like, I don't know, 40 plus, 50 plus points to Nebraska two years ago, right? In that shootout at Memorial Stadium. But you have tended to play well against them. And you seem to have some success against Scott Frost. I'm going to call that a win. I'm going to say we're going to win that opening game against Nebraska. What a way to start, too. Even if Nebraska, let's say, stinks this year, or they're another ho-hum 5-7, and 6-6, six and six, that would be one hell of a way to start off the Brett Bielema era. And I think that those players are going to be chomping at the bit. I love the amount of super seniors on this team. And all these guys that are coming back, they saw what they did at Nebraska last year. You could go revenge game factor if you want to for Nebraska but they really just don't scare me all that much anymore. So I think you get that opening win, and what a way to start the Bielema era that would be uh, on August 28th. And I say Saturday night. It might be during the day. It says TBA for time, but you are one of the few games on week zero of the college football schedule. Next week, September 4th, University of Texas, San Antonio. Okay, well, just get the win. I don't know much about them. Even if they were a good mid-major, just get the win. Let's call it 2-0. At Virginia. This is where it gets a little bit weird because Virginia is a team that is a little bit tricky to prognosticate. And if I'm being completely honest, the reason for that, I don't know much about them. Last year, Virginia was 
Four and five in conference, five and five overall. I don't know how many guys they have coming back necessarily. They did get a win against number 13th ranked UNC. They played Miami tough. And other than that, I mean, Clemson, they lost 41 to 23. You could do worse than Virginia. It's at Virginia. And there's something about early non-conference games on the road, whether it's at North Carolina. I think that was the Bill Cubitt year, right? At Washington in Beckman's third and final year. There's something about the non-conference road game that I just don't like. So let's call that a loss if we're just trying to keep things honest. Two and one. Maryland at home, September 18th. Ron Zook's return. Mike Loxley's return. Let's call that a win. Why not? Let's call that three and one before you go on the road to Purdue. And this, this is where I'm predicting, predicting another win. It is on the road. Purdue without Rondale Moore, even though I know he didn't play last year. I'm not really sure what's going on with the Brahm era over there. I'm not really sure. And it seems like all the promise that you had in years one and two of Jeff Brom, those are not really coming to fruition. The recruiting has kind of sagged off a little bit, and it feels like they are going to be at the bottom of the Big Ten West. I'm going with a win. Now, let's just run that back real quick. If you beat Nebraska, University of Texas San Antonio, lose at Virginia, beat Maryland, and beat Purdue, that is a four and one start. Four and one. One, two, three, four. Let me make sure I got my math right. It's doable, is what I'm saying. Charlotte at home the next week. Five and one. Imagine, just for fun, you beat Purdue on the road. You go four and one, three and oh in the Big Ten to come back to play Charlotte, a game that you know you'll probably win on October 2nd to go five and one. And imagine if you get to that point the next week, Wisconsin comes to Champaign to play their old coach, Brett Bielema, October 9th, that Saturday, homecoming game. Imagine the buzz if you can somehow be 5-1 and one going into that. It could happen, is what I'm saying. Now, let's call that a loss. Wisconsin still Wisconsin. We saw what happened last year. I think that's a little bit more in line with where these programs are at than what happened two years ago. That game, even though I was not there to witness it, and even though I've watched some replays, there's something about the game two years ago that feels like a big-time aberration. Like, somehow, way, you won that game, and maybe you... Um, if you play that game a hundred times, you would have won at five, if that. And it just happened to be one of those fluky times. I don't see that happening again, so let's call it five and two. And then at Penn State, let's call it five and three. Okay, even if they take a step back again on the road, tricky for me to just say, yeah, you're going into University Park and winning that, even after a bye week, because you would have that beforehand. So let's say somehow, somewhere you're five and three going into October 30th, Rutgers at home. Okay, well, Rutgers is tougher. We know that. We saw that last year. Uh, you escaped with the win in New Jersey. They're coming to your place. Greg Schiano, good coach. He's going to do fine there. He's going to establish some respectability back there. But let's call that a win. Six and three. Imagine being bowl eligible before you get to November. That would be a massive win. And it's doable. It is doable. At Minnesota, November 6. Okay, uh, tricky. I'll call that a loss. PJ Flex seems to be our kryptonite, sadly. And then at Iowa, let's call that a loss. And let's call that 6-5, and five, leading into the final game of the season against Northwestern. And God knows we have not had a lot of success against them in the last decade or the last 25 years for that matter. But let's just for fun say you win that game, you go 7-5. and five. And even if you don't, you're 6-6. Six and six. When we talk about expectations for Brett Bielema, it is getting this program to a level where 7-8 and eight win seasons are the norm, turning into an Iowa 
And then best case scenario might be turning into a Wisconsin where you're winning nine, 10 games a year and winning a decent number of big 10 championships as well. But let's start with the Iowa as the template here and what Kirk Ferentz, I about said Hayden Fry, but <laughs> what Kirk Ferentz has done there over the last 25 years. And it's doable. It is totally doable. They have a system that works. They recruit guys, that system. I think you can take solace in the fact that Brett Bielma and his staff already seem to have a template of guys that they want, specifically what Miller is bringing in on the offensive line. They're identifying that as the most important group on the field. Boring as it may be to some, that is the kind of stuff that plays in the Big Ten West. And whether or not that puts you in contention for national championships or something, that's irrelevant to me. I just want respectability, and that goes a long way. Competency of the coaching staff And then on the recruiting trail, knowing the kind of guys that you want, identifying them, bringing them in, and establishing that culture. The guys that when they're a fifth-year senior, they're absolute beast on the offensive line. So you see that building. You see the seeds of that already. And in addition to that with the transfer portal and the ability to go out there and kind of pick and choose the guys that you need at positions of need, I think with Bielema, it's different than with Lovey. Lovey was relying on it. I think Bielema will supplement with the transfer portal, and that's what you want to do. Couple those things together. What it leads you to is a unique situation this year with the super seniors all returning, I think the most in the country, that could lead you to a six-win or maybe even a seven-win season based on this schedule. You're still going to be one of the oldest teams in the Big Ten. I had a thought watching that game on Monday night. I knew so many of these guys came back, and yet I saw name after name where I thought, oh my God, he's back too. He's back too. Wow, we got a lot of guys back from a team that, while they struggled last year, I think we can chalk up to a few external factors as to why they struggled as bad as they did. I don't think talent was the biggest issue last year, though a lack of depth was probably a big one. But I think it was a lack of competency from the coaching staff that really led to that disastrous year, and then players eventually checked out. If they're invested in this, and they'd have to be if they came back for a fifth or sixth year, right? If they're invested in this, I just naturally see more success on the field with a schedule that is conducive to winning some games. So I'm saying it could be a perfect storm to a six and six, or maybe even a seven to five record. And even a six and six, imagine that, getting a bowl game. However lame of a bowl game it may be, there's nothing lame in making a bowl game the first year of a new coach. And that would be something they could sell, not just for four-year high school players, but the fact that all these super seniors are leaving and that you would have a lot of spots offensively and defensively to go out to the transfer portal and get some dudes. So that, (laughs) that's very optimistic carp, right? We are talking about Illinois football. I think we're a little bit gun shy because we have been disappointed before we got super excited or many of us did before Levy got in here, figuring that, well, you can't do worse than Beckman and Cubit. Well, you could actually, right? Or the fact that after Ron Zook left, well, you can't do worse than Ron Zook. Oh, Oh yeah, you can. Just watch. So there's always that Murphy's Law thing at work, right? It's Illinois football. Whatever can go wrong might go wrong or will go wrong for Illinois football. But color me optimistic and reasonably so, given the schedule, given this coach, the guys he surrounded himself with and how old this team is. I'm feeling it. And that's what Monday did, I think, is it sort of reignited that, man, imagine if Illinois football was good. Because I hadn't really thought about football games or Illinois college football, to be honest, since what would the last game of the year have been? Northwestern, one of the most boring games ever. 
And you didn't play that ninth week, did you? Play? Oh, yeah, you did. The, that ninth week was at Penn State. This was after you fired Lovey and Rod Smith was the coach. And I think you were tied 21 all or maybe even held a quick, a short lead in that game. And then Penn State scored, what, 68 points again? Who, who knows? Okay, so you did play that ninth game last year. Oh, my God. Uh, that, that was like the season that wasn't, you know, just a weird season. Nothing really to write home about. And what was a weird season across the board for everybody? But boy, did we make it even weirder than it had to be. So it was nice to be somewhat invested in a spring game. Oh, one more thing about Bielma. You know, we've talked about it on this show. I was a proponent of that hiring. The minute that that rumor came out about three or four days before he was hired, I thought, that, you know, that makes a lot of sense. And I had to start doing that YouTube rabbit hole stuff where I go to old press conferences and try to convince myself that this would be the right guy for the job. I'd already done that with the Jeff Munkin who I still thought would have been a good hire. You know, I, I think Jeff Munkin's a hell of a coach, even though I understand the questions about the triple option. But then Bilo's name came out, and I started watching stuff with him and thought, you know, I don't remember him being this likable. And it is early, and they haven't lost a game yet, and they haven't really faced any adversity. But boy, oh boy, does this guy know the PR game. He was great on Big Ten Network. He is chummy with any sideline reporter. Um, any interview that he does, if you watch him during his press conferences, he's calling guys by their names. Uh, he is a guy that knows that relationships are essential. And if he's doing that with the media, you know he's doing that with donors. You know he'll be doing it at the quarterback club. You know he's going to be doing it with recruits and their families. He knows how to play the game of college football. He knows how to be a salesman, and that is essential if you want to be successful. And as a fan, he sold me. Again, not selling me in terms of we're going to win Big Ten championships. We got a ways to go to get in that conversation. But certainly sold me into this idea that, yeah, we can have fun on football Saturdays again. And that's something that's been so few and far between as an Illinois football fan. And we're hungry for it. And I think that we're going to get it. So be excited. Be excited for this. And, uh, you know, proceed with caution, of course. Don't expect eight, eight and four or nine and three. But... Also, don't expect three and nine because they shouldn't be. And uh, if everything kind of shakes out as I think it will with an improved coaching staff and this old team, I think that we'll have reasons to be invested in this team into October, November. If you give me that, like take the six and six record out. Let's say you go five and seven, but I'm invested going into November and they pass the eye test and they do the little things right and they just lose because other teams are just more talented at the moment than they are. That's something you can live with, right? And I think that might be the floor for a team like this. Of course, <laughs> we can queue up this April 21st podcast in mid-October if Illinois starts two and five and you're like, Carp, remember what you were saying back in April? How excited you were? Well, what the hell happened? Yeah, well, that it could certainly turn south. We've seen it happen before, but now nah, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Also feeling good about Illinois basketball. They got honored as they should have at halftime of that game. Now, I got to be honest, I turned the TV off at halftime. And it's not any sort of, you know, anger so much about what happened with Loyola. What, what I'm at right now in terms of Illinois basketball is I'm looking forward to the future. I'm still having a bit of a difficult time putting last season in proper context and appreciating it for what it was, right? I know I should, I know I should appreciate all the great moments that they gave us the last two years, to be honest. But for some reason, I, I didn't want to watch the halftime thing. It was going to make me kind of sad. 
if that makes any sense. I, I don't know, like seeing Kofi and Io and all these guys and thinking, oh, what fun we had, but still that little tinge of, oh, God, man, it ended so early. I'm glad they got recognized in front of people. If I would have been at the game, I would have been happy to you know, be a part of it. There was something, though, in me that had to keep a little bit of distance. I, that might sound weird. You might be thinking, Carp, get over it. right? But uh, regardless, they get the banner. Io speaks. He'll get his jersey in the rafters, so that was pretty cool. Uh, Brad Underwood, I guess a very fiery speech as well. All the guys were there, except, except Adam Miller. A couple weeks ago, was it two or three weeks ago? God, it was April 1st, so we're coming up on three weeks ago that Adam Miller entered the transfer portal. I came on here, a somewhat impassioned 30-minute podcast. That, that was the low point because it felt as if, oh my God, are we losing all momentum from what we built up the last few years? Well, fortunately, after the weekend where you get Trent Frazier and Plummer, and we'll see what happens to the Kofi thing, and we'll see what happens to DeMonte Williams, right? He could come back and not cost you a scholarship, but you feel like the four now for this team is bubble slash NCAA tournament, that they got enough where they can get it done. They'll look different, there's no doubt, but they have enough to get it done and make the tournament, and that is really the most important thing to me. Just stack a bunch of tournaments in a row, right? And I think they will. But the Adam Miller thing... He doesn't show up on Monday night. And on one hand, you could say, well, what do you expect? He's in the transfer portal. Why would he make it awkward by showing up? Though he has been communicating on Twitter and stuff with his former, let's say former teammates, I guess. To me, him not showing up Monday. And if this makes me sound like a meatball fan, so be it. But I think it goes beyond that. That was my, okay, let's just, let's just end this thing. Right. Let's not worry about the Adam Miller thing anymore. That kind of did it for me. You went through that season. You went through that year with these guys. Presumably he's in what, Peoria? It's an hour and a half trip. Maybe he's back taking classes. I don't know. But this was scheduled a few weeks in advance. And he couldn't even make the trip down to see the banner unfurl and hang out with his teammates and his coaching staff. Again, I understand and recognize that maybe it would have been weird in some respects. But I think the coaching staff, they would have gotten over it or and they at least would have been respectful towards him clearly the players aren't all that bothered because they understand that at this high level of college basketball guys got to do what they got to do but that seems to have shut the door on adam miller coming back when you don't show like that and to me that's just the decent thing to do that's the right thing to do you go through the ringer with these guys the craziest of all years for any college basketball player and you don't even have the courtesy and respect to show up for the guys that you played with, I don't know. Call that weird um, for me to really read into that. But as a fan, that was sort of my okay, Adam. Good luck to you, but uh, go off and and do what you got to do, right? And that's really all it has to be, right? Good luck to wherever you go, and then we can leave it at that. Uh, don't bend over backwards. If he puts a tweet out there saying I'm going to LSU, Illini fans, you don't need to flood his timeline. Well, you don't need to flood his timeline with two things: one, with expletive related laden tirades you don't need to do that all right he is making his own decision and we have um no saying it nor should we right that that is up to him and his family uh, but also you don't need to bend over backwards and try to say oh well way to go adam we're, we're rooting for you i'm not necessarily going to be rooting for him i'm not going to be rooting against him i'm just not going to think about him so i i just don't understand this weird inclination of some people they almost want to go so far into like classy fan ter territory <laughs> they want to like wish every guy well. And I, I don't know if they were doing that for Mark Smith a few years ago. I don't recall that. 
But guys, we don't need to do that. We don't need to flood Adam Miller's timeline when he says, I'm going to LSU or I'm going to Louisville with thanks so much for the memories, Adam, when it was what? One season. How many memories actually were there from Adam Miller? A few, but that's going to be unfortunately another name that we file in the remember when. Now, from a basketball perspective, I hate losing him because I think that he was going to have a monster year. I thought he was going to have a monster career, but uh, we'll never know that, at least at Illinois. And I think he will go on to have success wherever he's at. But at a certain point, you need to ask yourself, how much is it worth it? The production would have been there. The, uh, the performance, I think, would have been there. But if someone couldn't commit all that much in the first place, remember all the back and forth last year were, well, I'm committed, but I'm not going to sign. But I'm 100% committed. But I might talk to Michigan, but I'm 100% committed. Remember all that back and forth. And now you're dealing with this. You know, the coaching staff, I think they would listen if Adam said, hey, I really want to come back. But I don't know if you are now in a place where you are actively pursuing him. Not that they were in the first place once he announced the transfer portal, but I got to think that they are thinking, why why bother? What's the point of dealing with this? So again, good luck, but we don't need to, <laughs> don't waste too much energy trying to say, thank you so much for the memory. No, okay, just move on from that. Um, elsewhere, EJ Liddell was at the game. Now, this was making the rounds on all the message boards and Twitter, and understandably, because you know there's been these random little rumors about, well, maybe EJ's interested in, in coming to Illinois. Apparently, Lauren Tate said so on Sportsline last night, that EJ's family had been in communication with the Illinois staff, which would be amazing and something to watch. I mean, y- you could see where he might be looking at a situation in Illinois closer to home, for one. Maybe what happened after their loss to, what was it? Oral Roberts, yeah, Oral Roberts last year. Maybe the treatment that he got online was one other thing where he's like, God, why do I want to play here at Ohio State? Even though, in fairness, um, that wouldn't be the only fan base that would do something like that either, though they are pretty nuts over there. So there might be some reasons why he'd want to come play for Illinois, and I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility. And um, interesting that he was there. I know he was supporting his friend Keith Randolph. I guess they went to high school together. But regardless, that seems like a very deliberate thing to do on a Monday night to travel to Champaign-Urbana just to see your friend that you remember from high school play a spring football game. I don't know. Seems like a long trip. Come all that way for what? Maybe he's living down in East St. Louis. I'm not sure. But regardless, it seems like that would be something to keep your eye on. And if that were to happen, you've got two open scholarships now. You presume one will be held for Kofi, kind of. And the other one, you'll be actively shopping around. But you do wonder if for a guy like EJ, he's kind of waiting to see how things shake out himself because I don't know how long they have to get into the transfer portal, but I would imagine he'd like to keep some flexibility. And he's the kind of guy that could pick any spot he wants to go. There are a few, if any, teams in the country that would not welcome an EJ Liddell. So boy, oh boy, wouldn't that be something. Not going to think too much about it. Not going to get my hopes up, but just interesting that he was at the spring game. And again, why would you travel all that way for a spring football game? I just find that to be a little bit far-fetched. All right, before we go, a couple bit of scheduling news here. We got the Hall of Fame Classic next November or December. I I forget the date, but non-conference tournament with Arkansas, Kansas State, Cincinnati, and Illinois. So that means you might face Bruce Weber and Mark Smith. Great, we get to face Mark freaking Smith again. Though he's never played well against Illinois, despite going 3-0 against them at Missouri. Facing Bruce Weber, sure, why not? I mean, Kansas State should be pretty bad. You know they're going to muck it up, and I would absolutely hate losing to them. 
but you know that that matchup will probably be a first round matchup or however they, if this is a round robin, I'm not really sure. Arkansas probably going to be good again. I think they had a Chris likes from Miami, that little point guard that killed you two years ago from the transfer portal, Cincinnati, not really sure how good they were last year, but decent little tournament in the non-conference. You mix that with Arizona that is announced for December 11th at the state farm center who their coaches. We don't know yet. Missouri, you're going to have that again down at St. Louis, ACC Big Ten Challenge, maybe the Big East Gavit Games. So you are starting to see your schedule shape up. And there are some good opportunities in that non-conference to get some quality wins before another 20-game Big Ten schedule. All right, real quick before we go, I forgot the other absence on Monday night. Orlando Antigua. And there was a lot of smoke on the message boards and from some of the insiders and stuff and from Kentucky people that Kentucky is trying to lure him back. And it would make sense because Orlando Antigua was a great recruiter, an ace recruiter, great big man developer, had some success success with Coach Cal before. It would seem a bit puzzling for him to leave an assistant gig for another assistant gig, even though that would be Kentucky. I get it. I got to think he's just using some leverage to get more money here. And I don't blame him for that. It's a business. Do what you got to do to get your raise. He deserves it. And do what you got to do to keep him. If he leaves, though, this is where I'm seeing some people really fret about it. This is where you almost have to just trust the head coach. You know, Brad Underwood identified Antigua, Chin Coleman, when maybe we didn't uh, think of those names ourselves. He found these guys and turned out to be absolutely huge for this program. You got to think that he could do that again if he lost an assistant coach. And you want to be a program that's in a position to have their assistant coaches lured away. I would prefer that they get lured away for head coaching gigs. But losing Orlando Antigua to Kentucky, even for another assistant coaching gig, that's not something to be uh, all that um, sad about or, or to be all that surprised about maybe. As a program, though, you want to be in a position like this, where your assistants are getting lured to other places, as opposed to, let's say, the John Gross or the Bruce Weber eras, where no one wanted those coaches. And that might sound a little bit harsh, but no one was knocking at the door for Jay Price, right? (laughs) I mean, not many people were knocking at the door for Jamal Walker, even though he has some good connections. When you get into that position, that means your program is in a good place. And that also means that you could go out there and get other guys that are pretty damn good assistant coaches. So for me, one of the last things I would lose sleep over is if you lost an assistant coach. Do I think there'd be attrition from the roster if you lost an Antigua or Chin Coleman? I don't think so at this point. Even if they helped lure a guy in, it would be surprising to me to have roster attrition at this point. I think if you got it through that first month after the season... Um, things have kind of shaken out how they needed to. So I don't foresee that being an issue, nor do I foresee it being something that would stall the growth of this program or hinder their ability to keep going and keep having success and making tournaments. You got to just reload, even at the coaching staff level. And if Brad Underwood is as good as we hope he is, and I think his ability to hire assistant coaches would lend him some credibility in this matter, you got to think that he could replace any of these guys if they happen to leave. Now, Could you take a temporary hit? Sure. Are you guaranteed to get a guy as good as Antigua or even Chin Coleman, who's been huge for this program? Not necessarily, but you might also get the next rising star. And another name to keep in mind, Roger Powell has worked his way up the coaching ranks and he's at Gonzaga. And that is right now the best program in the country. They just got Chet Holmgren, number one recruit. They are a powerhouse. 
That's that's it. They're a blue blood. I know they didn't win the national title game, but they are probably the best program year after year in this country, and they're doing it at every level. So you might think, well, it might be hard to get Roger Powell away from that. But what if you paid him to be your top assistant? I think he's the number two guy at Gonzaga. But what if you were to throw that money out there and wore him in? I mean, you know, coming home, back to Illinois, heroes welcome. He would be primed to get a head coaching job not long after that. He's probably close anyway, to be honest. Um, but I think that that would be something that if you lost an Antigua or Chin Coleman, just go out there and throw a bunch of money at Roger Powell. Why not? Um, I, I don't think that's outside the realm of possibility. Or hell, I mean, it's been long enough since Steve Brown's been here, right? He's been at UIC for the last few years, and I know that apparently some things happened where they had to kind of nudge him out of here. Um, though The circumstances with that are so fuzzy, and who even knows? But, you know, time heals all wounds, if we want to call it that. And that guy would recruit his ass off and be a great lifetime assistant, really, if you think about it. Uh, well, I don't know what his aspirations are. I could see D. Brown being comfortable with being a longtime assistant here, being the head recruiter, being the guy that is the sort of peripheral face of the Illini alongside Brad Underwood. I could, I could see that working out. There's options out there, right? So if you do, it would stink. Can you move on and get past it? Absolutely. Just something to think about with the potential loss of Antigua or Chin Coleman, if that happens. But they aren't going to stay here forever. We know that, right? They are not going to stay here forever. All right. I think that's all I got for today's program. Uh, before we get out of here, 200 Levels brought to you by DPDO online at dpdo.com. Use coupon code MIKE for $5 Cal Zones and $6 premium and construction zones at dpdo.com. Fourth and Kirby online at fourthandkirby.com. Use coupon code 200 Level for 10% off your order. It's getting to be that time of the year again, summer. It's approaching. You need nice t-shirts from fourthandkirby.com. Coupon code 200 level at fourthandkirby.com. Rector Construction online at rectorconstruction.com for everything from a new roof to a crawl space inspection and everything in between, rectorconstruction.com. And finally, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com for life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it, brianismyguy.com. For Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network, hey, this is Decadence. We got shows coming up. I'll be sure to promote it here on the program. Shameless promotion time. Uh, this is Out of Your Head from our album, Fever Dreams, anywhere music is streaming. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, and we will see you soon. It is the 200 level. Please.